Now let's turn again to Mark chapter 1, and we'll read verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13, let's read again. And immediately, and we saw, didn't we, how important that word immediately, or right away, or straight away, is in Mark's gospel. Immediately, the Spirit driveth him, the Lord Jesus, into the wilderness, or the desert. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted, or tested, of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Paul's children's talk. And we take a moment even to remember some of the children in the fellowship here that will be doing the 11 plus again this week. But we pray for us all, Lord, for we have tests every day of our lives. And so often we feel that we fail you miserably. And Lord, as we come to focus upon your only begotten, beloved Son, we pray that we will fix our eyes, fasten our eyes on him, on his conflict with the devil and his victory, and that we will be enabled by your grace to have enough faith to believe in him for our own present victory. Help us now, we pray, and May your spirit be abundant upon us now. In the Saviour's name, amen. I've entitled the message this morning, The Servant's Test. Of course, we saw in our introductory message several weeks ago, uh, months ago now, this is the gospel that chiefly takes up the theme of the Lord Jesus as the servant of the Lord, the suffering servant. Now, so much, believe it or not, in these two verses on the temptation of the Savior in Mark's Gospel that I'm going to span this particular study over two weeks. So this is the Servant's Test, Part 1. Matthew and Luke's Gospel are much more comprehensive in their account regarding the temptation of the Lord Jesus. But we must resist the temptation to expound their accounts rather than Mark's account specifically at Mark's account and why it is the way it is. And I've taught you from the beginning of our studies that Mark has a specific purpose and how he lays out the life of the Lord Jesus, not least in his account of the temptation. And there is a purpose in the brevity of his account. Matthew takes several verses, goes into great detail, deals specifically with each temptation as the devil sent them to the Lord Jesus. And yet here we have an account of the temptation that's only in two verses. But there's a reason for that. Mark has an emphasis. There is a point that he's wanting to make. And and if we delve into Matthew and to look to embellish uh, Mark's seemingly short account, we will miss the point entirely of why he records it the way he does. So right away, I want you to know I'm going to pay no attention this morning to Matthew's account or to Luke's account. And though they deal with the specific temptations, Matthew in particular, I'll not be looking at that this morning. I want us to get Mark's purpose, Mark's perspective in how he gives us the temptation of the Lord Jesus. And his point is simply the theme of this gospel. 
He wants us to see the Lord Jesus as the servant of the Lord. And he wants us to realize, remembering that Mark's gospel was given to the early Christians, that all of us are servants of the Lord as well. And if we are to be servants of the Lord, temptation will be a permanent feature of our lives. But that's not all he wants us to see. He wants us to see that Christ overcame the tempter. And because of that, we as the subsequent servants of the Lord after him can know victory through Christ. Let's remind ourselves of the, the context of where we find these two verses. We read it again this morning. John the Baptist, who remember was Isaiah's prophesied forerunner of Messiah, has prepared the way of the Lord and declared that Jesus of Nazareth is God's messenger. And we've also seen that the Spirit confirms this by descending upon the Lord Jesus at his baptism like a dove. And then the heavens cleft and are torn apart, and we hear the voice of the Father declaring, This is my beloved Son, in whom is all my delight. Now, context is extremely important for us to get the point of what Mark is saying. Indeed, it's important in any book or portion of the Bible. But here's his point. All of these verses up to now have been commendations of the Lord Jesus Christ as God's Messiah. They have been authentications of Christ's identity. But now he comes in verse 12 and 13, and here is his point. All that makes no difference who Christ is who John says he is, who Isaiah says he is, who the Holy Spirit says he is, who the Father says he is, he still must suffer temptation. He still must suffer trial and pain and tribulation to do God's will. Let me tease it out a wee bit for you so as you can really understand where I'm coming from. Though he's being clearly declared to be God's son, though he is being declared here as the king who is bringing his kingdom in a sense in the wilderness, after this identification of him, he's not permitted to go back into Jerusalem and live the life of a king and live the life of the Messiah as the Jews expected it. God doesn't allow him to go back and set up an earthly kingdom. He must stay in the wilderness. In spite of who he is, he must be in the desert. He must be tempted of the devil. And of course, Mark's great theme is he must go to the cross. In other words, he must do God's will in God's way. And God's way was the way of suffering not the way of force. So what is the lesson for all of us today as servants of the Lord? It is simply this. There's no such a thing as an untempted servant of God. The testing of the servant of the Lord in Mark 1 should convince us of that fact. Indeed, it is true that the greater our service and the more we accomplish for the Lord, the greater will be our suffering our testing and temptation. And one of the greatest temptations, and I'll deal with this perhaps next week, is not so much the temptation to immorality, but the temptation 
to try and do God's will in another way other than his way. The temptation to choose an easier path. That, in essence, is what the temptation of Christ was. But we'll look at that next week. But what can we learn from these two verses in the time that we have this morning? There are three things that I want us to learn. Next week, in the will of the Lord, we look at the fact that the servant's temptation can be an agonizing experience. He was 40 days tempted of Satan uh, with wild beasts in the wilderness. And then we'll look, uh, God willing, at how the servant's temptation is lonely. He was in the desert. He was alone. The wild beasts surrounded him. And yet there was divine aid. The angels ministered unto him. But we'll leave that to next week. The first thing I want you to note this week from the servant's test is the servant's temptation was immediately after a spiritual high. It came right after a spiritual peak or zenith in the life of the Lord Jesus. And it's the same in our experience as well. It came after his baptism. And we learned, if you can remember it, that his baptism was the public identification with salvation. The Savior saying, as I'm going down under the water, I also have a baptism to be baptized with on the cross. I'm identifying with you, sinners, because in a little while, three and a half years, I'm going to identify with your sin on the cross and take it as if it's mine. And it was his consecration to that great work of, of saviorship as Messiah. But it was also recognition of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And it was also preparation and unction of the Spirit. The Spirit was strengthening him as a man to accomplish the task which God had set him. Now note, look at the words of the Bible in verse 12. And immediately, immediately he was baptized. At once. He was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, to the temptation. Now, one scholar has said this, and I think it, it, it's, it's very apt. This statement, and immediately, is less temporal and more theological. Less temporal and more theological. What does that mean? He's not wanting us to grasp the time of it in the sense of how quickly it happened. But he wants us to grasp the theological truth of the chronology of his temptation. In other words, it was after the spiritual peak that, that he was driven into temptation. And here's a truth that we must get if we're ever going to survive temptation. The servant's temptation often is immediately after a spiritual high. There was no interval between the glory of his baptism and the hardship of his temptation. And incidentally, if we were to turn to Mark chapter 9, we would find out that the same is the case in his transfiguration. And as they were coming down, having seen the glory of the Lord Jesus revealed to them, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. So whilst we see a glimpse of his glory in transfiguration, the Lord was still laboring this point. Look, 
it's not all about the glory just now, but I've got to go to the cross. I've got to die and rise again. It's the same in his baptism. It's not all glory and identification and clarification from God. This servant must suffer. Though he is a son, though he was a king, he is God's suffering servant. This is God's path for him. And can I say, this is God's path for us. And in a moment, the Holy Spirit carried him from light to darkness. In a moment, he knew he went from knowing the Father's smile to Satan's wile. And it was as if in an instant after the heavens being opened that all hell was opened upon him. Does that tell us anything? Of course it does. It tells us that the experience of all of God's servants ought to be the same and is the same. I wonder are you going through that? You've heard the expression... I feel in my life I take one step forward and two back. I have a mountaintop experience, but the valley's just around the corner. And we, we experience this. We get a blessing, and it's not too long. In fact, probably the next moment when we get a discouragement or a curse even. And, and this is outlined for us. This is the experience of God's servant, the Messiah. But it will be ours as well. We are often tested immediately after a spiritual high point. Elijah found it in the valley after his great victory in Mount Carmel. And there's a spiritual principle in this that I want you to grasp because it's so important and vital if you're ever going to overcome temptation and face it the way the Savior did. I think in measure it's outlined in Luke 12 where the Lord Jesus said after telling a parable, everyone to whom much was given of him will much be required and from him to whom they entrusted much they will demand the more. What is this principle? Now listen carefully. The more spiritual you become, the more testing you will experience. Did you hear that? the more Christ-like the Holy Spirit will conform you to, the more you will know excruciating temptation. Now I think by saying that, and I hope you've grasped it, I have uncovered how at times as Christians we have our own perspective relating to temptation. Perhaps with some of us, we have this in our heads, that the more spiritual we become, the stronger we are to face and to overcome temptation. In a measure, that's true. But we often equate that with, well, then that means you'll have less temptations or your temptations will be less strong. That is wrong. The holier you are, the more temptation you will face. Now, the test of whether you have this incorrect perspective or not could be an answer to this question. How do you view God's servants who fall into sin? How do you view them? Are you scathing? Do you castigate them? Do you gossip about them? But suddenly, when you realize that those who perhaps are in the front line of the battle, and I, I, 
I know that that's maybe not a good term, for we're all in the battle. But when we realize that those who become more holy and do more for the Lord face the devil's hordes in a more intense way, should we not have a little bit of sympathy? A little bit of grace, a little bit of compassion? Think about it. This was the greatest temptation ever. I believe that. And yet it was immediately following the greatest event ever, up to now at least, in the life of the Lord Jesus. And the greater the event meant, the greater was the temptation. Have you learned that lesson? That the servant's temptation was immediately after a spiritual high, and so it will be in your life. Whenever folk get baptized here in the church and we have baptism classes, I often warn them that Satan will go up a gear or two after their baptism. I found that in my own experience. Because you're identifying. It's a highlight spiritually in your life. I remember a young man and his car was his pride and joy. And I remember in the kitchen in the old uh, building, I was warning the folk that were getting baptized before the event. Now, be careful. That Satan will come in with temptation and try you and test you. I can't even remember the car, but it was a slick one. And right after the baptism, somebody he noticed going out had taken a key or, or a coin and gone right up the side of the car and scraped it off. Friends, do we realize this? Even in countries where there's great persecution toward Christians, it's not when they profess faith with their mouth that they start to get persecuted. It's when they get baptized. It's tantamount in some nations to, to suicide in the sense that, that you're sealing your death warrant when you get baptized because it's a public identification with Christ and the devil hates it. You might be sitting there thinking, well, why does it have to be like that? I mean, I would love it in my Christian life if I could stay on the mountaintop all the time and there was no valley at the other side, if it just was going up and up and up and up until we got the glory. That's not the way it is. It wasn't the way it was for the Lord Jesus in his trial. It's not the way it will be for us. But why? Are you, are you thinking? You should be. Why does it have to be like that? Well, here's the, the second thing I want you to learn about the servant's test that will help us in that regard. The servant's temptation was arranged by the Spirit. The Lord Jesus' temptation was arranged by the Holy Spirit. Now, both Matthew and Luke indicate that the Lord went into the wilderness under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But Mark is unique in his use of this strange word in the authorized, driveth him into the wilderness. And that really gives the sense he was driven into the desert by the Spirit. Incidentally, if you look down at verse 34 of chapter 1, this word is used of the Lord Jesus expelling demons and devils from folk. It's used again in the same context, verse 39, verse 43, expelling demons. But here it's used, the Holy Spirit is expelling Christ into the wilderness. In Matthew, 20, Matthew 21, verse 12, it, it's the word of the Lord Jesus driving and casting out the traitors from the temple. Now that's the sense of the word in Greek. It has the idea of an external force against an unwilling object. 
Now, whilst that is the sense right throughout the New Testament, that is not the whole sense here in relation to our Lord Jesus. There is the aspect of an external force, that is the Holy Spirit. But the connotation here is the Spirit compelled the Lord Jesus forcefully, and he was obedient. But I want you to grasp this aspect of how the Spirit compelled him, not against his will, but nevertheless the Spirit drove him to that place of testing. What is the significance of it? Well, we'll see, hopefully, in a bit more detail next week in James 1, that the Bible is clear that God tempts no one. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone else with evil. Yet, although that is the truth, God, by his Holy Spirit, is sovereign in how he arranges our temptations. The Spirit led Christ into the wilderness to be tempted. And the Spirit leads us in our lives into places where he tempts and tests and tries us. First Corinthians 10 tells us, No temptation has overtaken you, but such that is common to man. And God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptations, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it or that you may be able to endure it. Now, the only way that verse could be true is if God has some kind of control over our temptations. And he does. The Holy Spirit arranges them. Now, think about this for a moment. The same spirit that anointed Jesus at his baptism is now the spirit that is thrusting him forth into testing. Now, why is that? Why does temptation often come immediately after a spiritual high? Why does the spirit and God arrange temptation for us? Well, I think in one sense, the answer is, is the same for both us and the Lord Jesus Christ. In one sense, Christ was tempted for the same reason as we. Though Christ had no sin, mark that very clearly, and we might deal next week with how we believe that the Lord Jesus could not have sinned. It's not possible to think of that. And yet, God's purpose in tempting the Lord Jesus is the same as his purpose in tempting us. Or allowing him to be tempted, I should say. God doesn't tempt anyone. But for arranging that temptation, his, his reason is the same as, as it is for us. He is strengthening us for the task that he is appointed to. Do you hear that? He is strengthening us for the task that he is appointed to. And he was strengthening the Lord Jesus. Now please mark that does not imply that the Lord Jesus was weak. No, no. But these temptations in Christ's life were the culmination of a lifelong process through his childhood and his adolescence and his young adulthood of spiritual strengthening and maturing. It occurred throughout his life up to now. The Bible tells us he increased in wisdom and in favor with God. Hebrews says, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, before I go on any further, and before your mind runs away with itself, let me say that like many truths in the Gospels, there is a holy mystery regarding this truth of the Lord's temptation. And I'll expand on it a little bit uh, more next week, perhaps. 
So keeping in mind for a moment, God cannot tempt and God cannot be tempted. James 1 tells us this. And yet we believe Christ could not have sinned. Yet here he is tempted. And we have to believe that his temptation was real. For as we'll see next week, he couldn't succor and empathize and sympathize with us if it wasn't. But here's the answer. He was not tempted in his divine nature. Remember, he had two natures. He wasn't tempted to sin as God. He was tempted by the devil as a man. Now, why is that so important? Because God's purpose in trying him and tempting him was in order that he might overcome Satan as a man. That's important. Sure, it would be nothing for God to overcome Satan as God. But Christ had to overcome in temptation as a man without any help of his divine attributes. As a perfect man, as the last Adam to undo everything that Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And there he is. And because he has been victorious, we can overcome the devil also. So in that sense, and I want you to get this, please. In that sense, Christ overcoming temptation was God's way of strengthening Christ's hand in the battle with Satan and the battle against sin. He was the first man ever to resist the devil. He was the first man who obeyed God completely. And there he stands in the wilderness in our place representing us. And he succeeds where our forefather Adam failed. And now he can give us strength to succeed also. So, therefore, the implication of that is that the Spirit arranges our temptations too to strengthen us. How do you view temptation? How do you approach it? When it comes along, do you cower? Are you filled with fear and trepidation? Oh no, not this again. How should you react when temptation comes? Well, this is teaching us, and James teaches us, that we should count it all joy when we meet various trials. Because our testing produces faith and steadfastness. And if we let our testing and steadfastness have its full effect, we will be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Maybe one of the reasons why you have problems overcoming temptation is because of the way that you're viewing it. You don't realize that the Holy Spirit arranges your temptations for your good. That's what the Bible teaches. You're perhaps not realizing that God, think about this, God sees it as his will for your good that you be tempted. That's not how we think about it, is it? Well, we need to understand that he has a purpose in our temptation. And it's not that we should fall into sin, but it's we should grow stronger, that our hands should be strengthened for the task that he has. Let me illustrate it to you like this. Imagine a football player 
a young man, and, and he's showing great promise. And suppose, for instance, he's on the, the second team. And he shows such skill on the pitch that his trainer's thinking, how am I going to bring this out of this young lad? Now, what would the trainer do, do you think? Would he put him down to the third team? See if his talents will shine there? Of course he wouldn't. He would, he would break through everybody and, and not break any sweat at that. What does he do? He puts him in the first team where he will be tested as never before. He'll give him the chance to prove himself in a greater test. Now look, that is it. That is the Spirit's intention for our temptations. That we should prove our faith. That we should grow stronger. And whilst the Lord Jesus had no sin, and whilst he was not weak, there is no doubt that in Mark's gospel, this is one of the points that he's bringing to us. This was the test and authentication of who Christ was and proving the strength that he would have, not just to overcome the devil in our place in temptation, but to go all the way to the cross as a perfect man and be our substitute and finish the work. Now, whilst that is the case, the servant's temptation was arranged by the Spirit. The converse is also true. For he was tempted of the devil. And so the third point this morning, first one was, the servant's temptation was immediately after a spiritual high. The second, the servant's temptation was arranged by the Spirit, and so will yours be. The third is the other side of the coin. The servant's temptation was instigated by Satan. We find... And it is true that, that God sovereignly arranges our temptations. He tempers them. He'll not give us anything that we can't handle, though the devil tells us so often that we, we, we can't handle it. And that's often why we fall flat in our face. But God is sovereign. God is measuring these tests out for us. Though he does not tempt anyone himself, he sovereignly arranges it. But though that is the case, it is the devil himself who instigates our temptation. And if God is arranging it for our strength and for our steadfast faith, the devil, the opposite, instigates temptation for our failure and our disaster. We must keep that in mind. It's very clear in the book of Job. Read the book of Job if you never have and study it in detail because there you have this tension. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity no matter what you have done to him up to now. So there is, is God arranging the temptation of Job and yet Satan comes in and Satan answers the Lord and says skin for skin all that a man has he will give for his life but if you stretch forth your hand and touch his bone and his flesh he will curse you to your face so there's the two and you've got to have the two God's arranging it and yet Satan is instigating it God is doing it for our strength and yet Satan is doing it for our failure and you must beware because Satan is real and Satan is a fearful foe. As Luther put it, though still our ancient foe doth seek to work his woe. His craft and power are great 
and armed with cruel fate on earth is not his equal. So we should beware of Satan. And we should know that we are not his equal. And that's why we should not lead us ourselves into temptation. Though God can arrange it, we're not meant to run into it. We're not meant to flirt with it. We're not meant to look for it or be in a place where it will come before us. No. We're meant to flee from Satan. But though we are not his equal, praise God, Christ in the wilderness was more than his equal. And because he defeated him there and defeated him at the cross, he has made us more than conquerors. Satan is a defeated foe. But let me say, before I leave this point, and I'm almost finished, this is one of the great paradoxes of spiritual life. You see the trial you're going through. See the test. You see the temptation. God has allowed that. And indeed, God has put a stamp on it that it should come into your life. He has arranged it by the Spirit that you'll not have too much, but you'll not have too little. And yet, there is Satan, and he is operative in trying to pull you down as a child of God, trying to discourage you, trying to depress you, trying to discredit you. And this is the tension right throughout the Christian experience, and it's a mystery. And life is a mystery. And the Christian life is a mystery. Joseph found it in the pit. Then he was in Potiphar's house. Then he's in the prison. Then he comes to the palace up, down, up, down, mountain, valley, mountain, valley. And at the end of it all, God's word says, as for you, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for my demise. You meant it for evil. You meant it to destroy me and that I might fail my God and my family. But God meant it for good. Now let me ask you, because this is vital. This is why I wanted to spend so much time in this this morning. Because if you're ever going to overcome temptation, you've got to see that there is this tension in the Christian life. It's not all... Sunshine and roses, as that stupid song says. It is a battle. It is a fight. And the Holy Spirit arranges temptations and trials. Even the very cross had this paradox in it. You remember the apostle saying, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You see the two things? God had predestined and planned before the foundation of the world that Christ should go to the cross and die for sinners. And yet, wicked men took him by their hands and put him to death. What temptation are you facing today? What temptation have you been subjected to? Maybe you failed so many times you wonder, is it possible to have victory at all? Can I say to you, yes. Yes, it is possible. Indeed, it is inevitable through and only through the Lord Jesus Christ and only by facing your trials and your temptations the way he did. How's that? By recognizing that to suffer tests and temptations is part of what it is to be a servant of God. 
And we can expect testing, especially after our spiritual climaxes and and zeniths. It will come. And also we will overcome when we understand that although the devil wants us to fall into temptation, God has willed it for our good. And therefore we ought to rise to the occasion and realize that God is going to give us a gift of strength when we overcome and he will lead us from strength to strength. Is that your perspective? Is it Mark's? Can I read you as a close a hymn? It's not one we're going to sing. John Newton, that great slave trader that was converted and then wrote Amazing Grace and then became a, a vicar in the Church of England. He wrote a wonderful hymn about the confusion that many have regarding trials and temptations in the Christian life. People who think that this shouldn't be happening to me. I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God. Why is it happening to me? Surely I should be delivered from all these hardships. Now I'm one of God's children. And they fail to realize that this is not just happening to you because the devil has instigated it at times, but it's happening because God's Spirit has arranged it for your good, for your strength, for your faith, for your victory follows the progression of his thought in that struggle. Listen to it. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds and laid me low. Lord, why is this I tremble and cried? Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst seek thy all in me. God willing, next week we look at two more aspects to the servant's test. O Lord Jesus Christ, who as man on this earth was completely victorious over Satan, help us in our temptations. Lord Jesus Christ, who defeated him through shedding your precious blood on the cross, give us power to overcome him. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to Peter,
Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Pray for us. Strengthen us and send your grace. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling. Amen.